Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. Hi, guys, and welcome back to Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Haley. And I'm Sam. And this week's episode stars the lady lawyer behind Women in Law on the Record, the famous podcast that talks all about lady lawyers and follows them from their beginning stages of life all the way to where they are in their career now. Allison is a current lawyer in Dallas, and she has some great tips for us future associates and law students and just anybody who wants a glimpse into what law firm life looks like. So definitely stay tuned and let's welcome our guest. Please help me welcome our guest, Miss Allison Stewart. Hi, Allison. How are you doing today? Hi, ladies. I am doing so well. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you. So, Allison, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Sure. So, my name is Allison Stewart, and I am a litigation associate in Dallas, Texas at Greenberg Traurig. And I'm just now starting my, well, I guess I'm a couple months into my sixth year of practice. I'm a 2016 law, uh, law school graduate, and I went to SMU, at, uh, that's Southern Methodist University in Dallas for law school. All right. So why don't we go all the way back to before law school? When did you okay. decide you wanted to go to law school? You know, were, was it since you were a child or, you know, later in life? So just tell us a little bit about that. My decision to go to law school came about uh, when I was an undergrad. So I went to Texas Tech for undergrad, and there I studied sociology, criminology, and forensic science. So this was like peak CSI days for anybody yeah. that's remembering remembering that. I thought I wanted to be like Bones, you yeah. know, anthropology. I thought maybe I would go in and study that. But I quickly realized while that was really fascinating, you basically had to get a PhD, and even then – there's so those positions are so few and far between. Like you've got to be in the major, major cities, New York, LA, Chicago. Um, and even then there's, there's very limited positions for those. So I thought I probably need to do something that's going to give me more flexibility with my future and doesn't just lock me into one particular, um, subject matter. So we had had a FBI agent come talk to us in one of our classes and uh, he was a lawyer. He had gone to law school and then he ended up working for the FBI. And I, that was literally the first time I had ever even thought about going to law school. And um, I decided that's what I was going to do. And I went to, went to law school fully thinking that, you know, most likely I would do something in the criminal space. And 
criminal law was my worst grade, (laughs) my worst grade in law school. And I didn't like it and I shifted gears. So that's how, that's how I got there. That's how I arrived at the, at the decision. I can totally relate with the thinking, oh, I'm going to do criminal law. Both of us. We saw we that on, on the TV. same boat. Yeah. <laughs> and then as soon as we had our first internship and honest to God, after I saw my first dead body, I was just like, whoa, I don't know if I can show up every day and, and, and not have this take such an emotional toll on me. So totally understand. But when you did get to law school and you started that process, what were some of your biggest struggles and some of your biggest accomplishments while you were there at SMU? Yeah, so I did um, I did the evening program at SMU. So I went to school. My classes were all at night, especially in the first two, especially in the first two years. And then slowly, you started to incorporate some daytime classes just to be able to take the classes you wanted. So it was a grind. Yeah. Um, it was working during the day. I mean, in my first my first year, there was one point that I had three jobs where I was bartending on the weekends to make money. I was working at a small family law firm two days a week because that's all they could afford to have me on for. And then the rest of the weekdays, I worked in the admissions office at SMU. And so I, I look back on that and I can't believe that I did that. Yeah. Like that was... That was so time consuming. It was a lot of hard work. Intense. Um, is but it, it was intense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I look, when I look back, I realize I just, I put too much on my plate to survive yeah. and get by. And I wasn't focused. I didn't, I didn't know that I really needed to get good grades. Yeah. Like I kind of, I didn't go into law. I didn't know any lawyers. I didn't know anybody who'd gone to law school when I applied. So it wasn't until after that first semester when grades came out that I realized how great, how important grades are where, you know, all the, all the people within my study group were getting A's on these tests. And I mean, I literally remember getting grades and thinking, oh my gosh, I got one A and the rest B's. That's great. Like, that's a success. This is law school. This is really hard. That's successful. And then turn out, you know, turns out my, all of my friends who I studied with all got A's and we had done, we were in the library for the same hours. We had the same outlines, like what happened? You know, it was really, um, it was really upsetting, frankly, to me. I remember being, um, really confused about what happened. What do I need to do next? What does this mean for my future? You know, is it, does this mean I'm not meant to be a lawyer, Imposter um, all these sort of irrational thoughts that, yes, I, really yes. know that I realize are irrational now. But um, anyways, that's a long way of saying that. I think what I struggled with at first was not knowing what to expect and not asking for help in that regard, like getting other people's input on what I should be doing. Because somebody should have told me hey, quit one of your jobs, quit two of your jobs and focus on school, do what you need to, to focus on school. Um, but I mean, you know, it, it all worked out. Things kind of, things sort of evened out. I, I did end up quitting two of my jobs and took another day at the family law firm where I got a ton of really good substantive experience. And that's where I confirmed that I wanted to be a litigator. I got to second chair a, a really complicated divorce trial and that's where I found my love for the courtroom. So from there, I did things in law school that were going to give me the boost that I needed. So 
I did a moot court competition. My first, you know, everybody is required to do moot court at least once in their first year, just one round based on the brief you write. And I got really positive feedback from the guest judges. And that was, that little bit of encouragement is all I needed, you know, to keep going and to not feel bad about my prospects as a lawyer. So I got really involved in moot court, super, I mean, my competitive, it just got my competitive juices going, Mm -hmm, right? Um, I competed in five or six competitions while I was in school. And and by the last one I did, uh, we were the national champions and got first place. And um, it was just really rewarding, you know? I mean, like I said, it gave me hearing somebody tell me that my arguments were good or that my presentation style was impressive um, made me think, okay, yeah, I may have gotten a B minus in crim law, but it's, I, I can do this, you know, I have a future in this. Um, and then the last thing I did was, was law review. Despite my grades, not, I was not in the top 10%. And despite that, I was able to write on to the, to the big journal at SMU. And again, that was really encouraging because I thought, okay, maybe I'm not a great test taker, but I was, I am a good writer, you know, given the time that I need, I am a good writer. And this is proof of that. And of course, as you guys probably know, being on law review is very valuable to your long-term um, future as a lawyer, just because that's where you get a lot of your basics, your your foundation. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of that's sort of the history of my law school experience. Amazing. So, right after law school, you take the bar, right? And where did you start working right off the bat? So I've, I've been at Greenberg Traurig my entire career so far. As I mentioned, doing the part-time program at SMU, I was able to work during the day. So my last two years of school, I was actually working in the legal department at a company called Alcon, and they're a big pharmaceutical vision care company. And that was great experience, um, but it was all the way in Fort Worth. And if anybody's familiar with DFW, that's an hour commute yeah. each way. So again, on that grind, you know, on that grind where I was going to Fort Worth every day, coming back for class when I, you know, when I needed to and everything. Um, but being at Alcon during that time, I got a lot of exposure to um, to big law firms, and one of them was Greenberg, and I um, just really became. I was impressed with their work product. I was impressed with their lawyers who they sent to our offices, and I thought this seems like the right fit for me because it is a big law firm. You've got the big resources, the nice view, you know, (laughs) you guys can see my view. Um, But it's not a huge office. We had about 40 attorneys when I first started. And so I found that to be less intimidating. And, um, you know, I was motivated to find that kind of balance in a big law firm because I didn't want to get lost in the shuffle. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how I came to GT. I, I did do a summer associate, um, clerkship here the summer before I graduated and it was kind of your traditional, you know, come here for six weeks, do some assignments, meet a lot of people, attend a lot of social events. And then, you know, we got the job off. I got the job offer at the end of the summer to come back. So, and it's worked out great ever since I'm a big, big fan of the firm. Um, and I've had a tremendous, um, experience, for a young associate at this point. Was the summer internship program, was that after your second year? So for me, that was after my third year, because with part-time, it's a four-year 
um, four-year program. And so I guess I, w- I did OCI in the fall of my third year. Then you go and do the summer yep. and then you take your fourth so year. Yeah, perfect. that's how it like, worked. If you were a full-time student, it would basically be that time if you're doing your second year okay this is my chance to really get to know the firm and get in and get the job offer no absolutely well that's awesome also going back to being on moot court and you did five or six competitions did you write briefs for five to six competitions I did them for all but one there was one competition that we did that had a designated brief writer, okay. but the rest of them, oh wait, no, I'm sorry. There were two that had a designated brief writer. I'm trying to think. Um, but still. Yeah. Yes. Intense. There were two with a designated brief writer. Um, y- yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. Of, I'm thinking, I'm like, gosh, it was a lot. It really was a lot of work writing those briefs. Um, those briefs are big and intense mm-hmm. and... I mean, if I looked at someone's resume and it said that they had done moot court six times, I would have been like, okay, I know this girl can work and can write. Mm -hmm. And then it had law review on top of it. I can totally see why you're at Greenberg Charg. So that's awesome. Thank you. When you started out as an associate and you said you've gotten a lot of good experience, tell us about that. What kind of areas you said you knew you wanted to be a litigator? Um... Did you have to, you know, sacrifice anything? Have you had to do some transactional work? How has that been? We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you are currently hooked on Never Lie by Frieda McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go. Whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So, if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. Yeah, I, I haven't had to do any transactional work, but um, I guess I'll start with when I orig- originally started. Given my uh, experience at Alcon, I had, and I had a lot of classes in healthcare, so I knew going into it, I was going to be working with our healthcare group, healthcare litigation. So, you know, I, I did get a lot of experience there from the outset, and still to this day, it, it makes up about thirty percent of my practice. And healthcare litigation comes in the form for me of 
defending hospitals, defending hospital groups. You know, it could be a billing, a class action billing dispute. It could be um, medical malpractice. It could be insurance defense, that kind of stuff. Um, all the way down to the more micro level of representing a doctor in front of their, you know, the Texas medical board on a complaint that a patient has filed, something like that. And then the remaining part of my practice, um, is just, is just commercial litigation and it subject matter wise, it runs the gamut. I mean, right now on my docket, I've got an oil and gas case. That's a breach of contract, but it's oil and gas industry. Um, I've got an environmental, again, a breach of contract, but it's all about environmental law regulations, you know, whether, um, a certain contamination rose to the level of having to do a cleanup. I've got, um, you know, stuff for big banks, lenders, things like that. It really, um, is something different all the time. Yeah. But what my, my favorite part about, about that, of course, is that it's always challenging and it's always something new. Um, and I often do get to work for the same clients over and over again. And that's, I mean, really, it's one of my favorite things about the job because, it's almost like, you know, you, you become partners with them. You be, you get invested in their business and vice versa and, uh, you get, you get to know the clients. And so that's really fun. Um, but going back to kind of the, how I got some of the better substantive experience that I credit as being really important to my career thus far, um, Really, it was about the end of my end of my first year that I was assigned to a really big case, you know, baby lawyer just past the bar, and uh, was assigned to do doc review, which is kind of your, what you expect. You know, you expect a lot of that. Yeah. But um, what I didn't expect was, and I had no idea where it was going to go, was that I would become the go-to person for all things facts in the case. I mean. I knew the timeline backwards and forwards. I can tell you when somebody sent that email. I can tell you who was copied on that email. Um, I can tell you what's missing from the other side's production. Um, I can tell you what we withheld as privileged. You know, I mean, it, doing doc review is a tedious task. Don't get me wrong. But it's also one of the most crucial things in the case. And it's one of the easiest ways to make yourself invaluable to the team. So what that led to was getting to go and argue all of the motion to compel hearings, anything, any discovery dispute I was involved, whether it was, you know, um, defending against a motion to get more time to depose our witnesses. I mean, you know, I, I got to go and do that. And I'm a, I, as a baby lawyer, I was up against senior partners from Sussman Godfrey, you know, some of these really, really big law firms. And, um, it was so much fun. I mean, it was really fun. That's, I, that's, I loved getting to go. This was the, this, you know, we had cases all over, all over Texas, but getting to go to Abilene or Lubbock or San Antonio or South Texas. And, um, cause I had a hearing or a deposition to attend or something like that. So being on that case is what gave me some of my, um, best experience. And then, uh, similarly, I kind of did it, um, on, on two different parallel tracks of being involved in a really big case like that, where you've got multiple lawyers and then being involved on smaller matters where it's just me and one other partner. And, um, on those smaller matters, again, you're given a lot of responsibility because it's just you and one other person. So on those, I would be able to do things like actually get to take the depositions, you know, I mean, 
that's not necessarily something that you're entitled to as a second or third year associate getting to take the plaintiff's deposition or defend your client at a deposition. So, um, yeah, I mean, by, you know, three years in, I'd already had a lot of really good experience. Um, that case that had a, that I talked about with the doc review did end up going to trial and we were, we were there for over two months and me and the other junior associate on the case both got uh, speaking roles in the trial. I got to take a couple witnesses. I um, got to argue evidentiary motions ahead of time, things like that. I mean, um, so yeah, that that's kind of, you know, how I've gotten to, I think, where I am now, where I'm getting to do those things more, reg- you know, yeah. more regularly than you would as a more junior person. So if you were to give any tips to yeah. a future litigation associate, aka us. What would be, you know, your biggest tip for just the first few years on maybe, I don't know, anything? Yeah. Just being a litigator. Yeah. So I guess I have a lot of tips. Um, I I don't know. I don't know where you, where y'all are planning to work or where anybody's planning to work, but if you're planning to work in a law firm of any size, I always recommend people read this book called, oh gosh, it's like, called being a being an associate at a law firm or something it's really basic mm-hmm. but it's written by a guy named Jay Mocking I think it's Jay Jay Mockingbird mm-hmm. I could be butchering that and maybe you guys can find a link for it but um it's a pretty short book and it's very helpful on things that you should do and it's not your typical cheesy don't put emojis in emails to the partner your first week it's really helpful stuff that yeah. you should be thinking about from the beginning um one thing that I took away from it was the importance of thinking about your practice from day one and how you want to build your practice from day one. I think you you both won't have a problem with this because you know what branding is like, you know what marketing is like. What you're doing now just with this podcast is going to be very critical to your future in that respect because so many people come into a law firm with no idea of how to do that stuff let alone whether they even want to, you know, some of, some people come here and they're like, I just want to practice law. I don't want to do business development. I don't envision myself bringing in clients. I'd rather be a support type role. And that's perfectly fine. There's a place like that for everybody. Um, but for me, I envisioned having clients of my own one day. And so I took it very seriously. And by, by that, I mean, making the time, setting certain boundaries to ensure that I did those things like attend a luncheon every now and then or a networking event or certainly jumping on every opportunity where I was invited to go with a client somewhere by a partner. It didn't matter if I worked with that partner or not. Um, so that's, that's one piece of advice. The other, um, the other thing I'd say, you know, there, there are some basic things I'm sure you've been told. Don't be afraid to ask questions. No question is stupid at this point. I don't, I mean, I, I still say things now that I'm like, I should probably know this, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because if I don't, then I might make a mistake. I mean, there's, you know, don't be afraid of asking questions. And then the last thing I'd say is just, uh, you know, kind of going back to setting boundaries. Um, when you're starting out as a, as a baby lawyer, or maybe if you're making a lateral move from another law firm, you really only have the one opportunity to set precedent for yourself. And what I mean by that is a couple of things. One, you'll set the precedent of providing good work product, you know, being diligent, being hardworking, 
you want you want to be seen that way because you're building your reputation from the very beginning. That all being said, you're also building what the expectations are. So first starting out, yeah, you're going to be you're going to feel compelled to respond to every email even if it's 10 or 11 o'clock at night or be available on weekends or you know, maybe cancel a vacation if something comes up. I mean, and I would just encourage you to be really thoughtful about that. It's not to say I haven't, I've done it a million times myself, but I've also uh, created it, I think, a, a very healthy dynamic with the people that I work with regularly so that they know when they need me, they can count on me. But there's not, there's not an unhealthy expectation that even if it if it's something that doesn't need to be responded to until tomorrow morning, <laughs> that I'm going to respond tonight just to prove that I can respond tonight. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I don't know. I know that's kind of a vague um, instruction, yeah. but it's just something to be mindful of because it's, this is a, this is a long game. This mm-hmm. is a marathon that we are all in, you know, it's your career. So yeah. just keep that in mind. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah. Going off that, when you talk about boundaries, I feel like those bad habits of uh, the need to oh I can respond just because I know I can or just these ideas that we get uh, that we have to do uh, it kind of comes from that competitive nature that starts out in law school and this this glorification of working all the time and who's going to build the most hours. I mean, I think it all kind of mm-hmm. develops over time and things like that. So. For the young associate at the law firm, you know, you said to set boundaries and things like that. What about, you know, you've been at your firm for six years. So what has made you stay? And is it the people you work with? And I know you said to like set up boundaries, but like what if your boss like expects you to work all the time? And like, is that, is that a red flag, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, one practical way that you can avoid a pitfall like that, where you're just working all the time, um, is to spread your work out a little bit, especially early on. And what I mean, uh, what I mean by that is working for different partners and it can be a little daunting, a little stressful, but if you're spread, if you're spread out a little bit more, like you're working for maybe three or four partners at once, then it diminishes the likelihood that one partner will think you are at their beck and call all the time. So, and that, I think, I think it's easier for one partner to say, this is my associate and they're going to do anything I ask them to do because they're just mine. You know what I mean? Versus if you're working, you know, their partners are relying on you as well. So that's one practical way to, to avoid it. Um, and that, and that is something that I've done, you know, and still do. I, like I said, I, I primarily work for the same three or four partners. Um, and I joke that they're on my approved shareholder list, you know, (laughs) clients have approved law firm lists and I have approved shareholder lists where, (laughs) you know, those are, those are my, those are my people. I I will be in the trenches with them. I will, um, you know, do whatever it takes to make sure the client gets served. But I, that also means I'm, I have a, a a ceiling or a limit on the amount of work I can take from people outside of those folks. And I, when I say that, I'm talking about from my own personal preference. That's a boundary. Because, for example, um, 
one thing that I've experienced is taking work from other offices, which is great. And I encourage because you, you know, in somewhere like somewhere like this, you eventually will need help from Chicago or you'll need help from Atlanta or Florida or wherever, because you're going to want to work them to work on your cases when the need arises. But that being said, sometimes if somebody's in another office, um, you don't have as much oversight or there's, there's less communication and that can kind of just snowball. So for me, I take a limited amount of cases from other offices at one. I'll have only so many at one time so that I don't overwhelm myself with work from people I'm not seeing on a regular basis. Um, And then same goes for, I was just talking to my mentor about this. The same goes for the type of work that I take. So I'm only going to take so many big cases. You know, right now I've got a couple cases that are your big complex litigation big discovery issues, large document productions, tons of depositions, things like that. Um, I only have a couple of those going at once. And then that means I'm allowed to take X amount of small matters that are going to be more, um, oh, what's the word? Like um, where, the, where you're going to go through the same, they're going to be more routine, I guess, where you're probably going to serve the same type of discovery requests mm-hmm. in each one of them. Um, you know, you, you can rely on the same experts, rotating experts in those types of cases, things like that. Um, again, I think it's just a good, it's a good balance because if one of my big cases should go away, then I still got my little ones or, you know, vice versa. Um, but to answer your question, Haley, uh, about why I've liked it here so much, it's, it certainly had a lot to do with the people because, they're great. I work with great lawyers, first of all. Um, so I've learned a lot from them. But I've also, these people have a ton of respect for me and have given me a lot of encouragement. I know we'll, we'll talk about this in a bit, but when I had, when I had the idea for my, my podcast, my Women in Law podcast, um, I was just a, maybe right at my second year, right at my start of my third year. And, um, you know, the response I got from my mentors and my partners was, this is a great idea. You need to be doing this. This is taking like some of your best attributes and putting it all in one place. What, what do you need? What, how can we help you? I mean, that level of encouragement is, um, is really important and it's rolled into a situation where, I've created a name for myself, even among lawyers who don't do litigation here. People associate me with my podcast and it's a good, it's good branding. You know, it's good branding for me inside the firm and outside of it. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. No, absolutely. I mean, time and time again, I hear people say, oh yeah, I stayed at the law firm because the people that I worked with. So I just wanted to, you know, really solidify that that might be, and that is why you stayed at the firm. So going on to the podcast, how, you know, you said you started it when you were a second or third year associate and, you know, why, what made you start it and what gave you the idea? Yeah. So I started it because I wanted to start something. I didn't know if it was going to be a website or a blog or what, but it was that J you know, Mockingbird quote in the back of my mind saying, you need to be building your practice. And I, th- I thought, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I didn't know. The only lawyers I know are the ones I just graduated with, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So how am I going to meet people in a, in a dynamic way that isn't just 
going to lunch. How am I going to set myself apart is really what I was concerned about. And plus, even though I was working a lot, coming from my crazy, hectic law school schedule, I had way more time on my hands than I'd had in the last four years. Yeah. Um, so I was just kind of like, I need to be doing something <laughs> on the side. I need a side hustle. Yeah. That was before side hustle was a term. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the reason why the podcast itself came up is kind of funny. Uh, a woman who was a mentor of mine, she still is, but she retired now. Um, she had this idea of having kind of a women's retreat for women in all different areas of her life. Um, you know, one was a client, one was a longtime friend of hers. She was inviting me along and she wanted each of us to talk about something that we're really interested in. So she was really interested in real estate. One woman was really passionate and interested in cryptocurrencies. So she knew everything about cryptocurrency. And I was like, um, I don't have anything like that. <laughs> I said, I guess I could maybe talk about podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time and mm-hmm. I get a lot from them. And so it was just kind of a culmination of all these different signs in my life, I suppose, that that gave me the idea to start this. And I I think most importantly, I realized that there wasn't one out there like it. There wasn't a podcast for for women in law. You know, there was there was ones about trial lawyers or um, uh, transactional lawyers and things like that. But there wasn't one specifically dedicated to women. So I saw you know, a space in the market that I thought needed to be filled and I went for it. Yes. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, obviously you wanted to meet people, which I love that. That's such a cool way to like set yourself apart and network, right? Mm-hmm. Cause I know through our podcast, we've met so many people and I've learned so much about this future career that I'm embarking <laughs> on. Right. So what are some of your goals for the podcast and what were some of the goals for yourself that you set? Yeah. So the, the goals for the podcast have changed, you know, year to year. When I first started, I set a standard of doing at least 40 episodes in my first year. That was a lesson in don't just set arbitrary goals for the purposes of trying to prove some, I don't know what the heck I was thinking. Mm -hmm. I think I was just trying to prove to people that I put that out there into the universe. I was telling people 40 episodes first year so that they knew I was serious about it and I was dedicated to put out a lot of content. And I did it. You know, I did put out a lot of content, but I realized pretty quickly that it was too much content for me because I'd have people who loved it that would get behind like, oh, I'm still a couple episodes behind. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. And I was that was a disservice to the folks that I was having on. Yeah. You know, I wasn't giving enough space to the guests that I was um, featuring uh, around them because I was on to the next one so quickly. Mm-hmm. So that was something I learned um, pretty early on. And so now I do them right now at this time in my life, I'm kind of doing them as I can. I, I switched to doing them every other week. And um, to be totally transparent, I had some personal life things going on in the last year. And I took the advice that I hear a lot of the women in my podcast share, and that is make adjustments depending on the season in your life. And for me, that season was, okay, the podcast needs to take a little bit of a back seat. Yeah. I'm going to be spending a little bit more time, um, you know, developing my community a little bit around me. I was spending more time going to counseling, still going to counseling, um, just different things like that, that it was kind of like, this is just, and it's okay. You know, it's okay to take a pump, the brakes a yeah. little bit, do what you need to do 
to get through this. And that's what I've done. So now, now I'm in a really good place and, um, kind of getting back on the regularity of the, of the podcast. And, um, my goal for it is, is simply to feature women's stories that inspire other women. Like that, that's the, that is the goal. I'm not trying to be a media personality. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to write a book, you know, (laughs) um, I really just want to provide a resource, but just like you guys provide a resource for women lawyers, uh, to be able to, to listen to and know that they aren't alone in certain struggles, know that they, um, can make changes to their career mid you know, mid job, they can switch jobs, they can switch practice areas, they can take a break from working and come back. I mean, I just wanted to provide example after example of what it looks like to be a lawyer as a woman. Um, you know, and, and I, and that's why I feature women in all different stages of their career. You know, I might have, I've had law students on before I've had junior associates, I've had senior level federal judges. Um, so it's really, it's really run the gamut and, um, yeah, that, I, so that, I guess that's that's my goal with it. I don't I don't have a goal of, um, you know, not at this time, anyways. Turning into turning it into something different than it is right now. You know, folks have always suggested, oh, you should do video content or you should make it a, a YouTube channel. And <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, yeah. I have a job right? during it's the day. Like, Gosh, Actually, I don't yes. have all this time. <laughs> this isn't a full time gig. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> So what are some of the most interesting things that you've learned from all of the guests that you've had throughout the life of your podcast? Oh gosh, there's been so much. I, um, well, one thing that's interesting to me is how, how do I phrase this? Okay. I'll just explain it. So almost every person who I reach out to, to have on the podcast initially will tell me, I don't have a very interesting story or I, I haven't done anything all that great yet or whatever. They really downplay their journey. And then we get into the podcast, we walk, you know, mine is a situation where we, we walk chronologically through their career, starting from where did you grow up all the way through, where are you now? Mm -hmm. And, um, by the time we get done with it, it's always a very, I think from, from my perspective, they have a great time talking through all of that. And it, I, I see my guests lit up by the end of it and reflecting on it like, wow, that was really therapeutic for me. It was, um, it brought me a lot of pride to talk about some of the things I've accomplished. And these questions prompted me to think about things I haven't thought about in a long time. Or, um, you know, one woman I had on, Iris Chen, she was a VP at Google for a long time. She's at Airbnb now, but she's got three young daughters and she described it as kind of like a time capsule where her daughters can listen back to it once she, they don't know what she does now, you know, um, but they'll be able to listen back to it one day and hear their mom's story, you know, in interview form and hear what was going on in all of their lives right there at that moment. So it's just very sweet to me. I think that's been an, an, that was an unforeseen benefit um, from it. Other interesting interesting things. I mean, I I try to take away something from every single person's story. Um, I love hearing about what motivates people. I had a woman on named Brooke Adams. She was one of my early interviews. Um, she's a lawyer at Fannie Mae and she grew up in a real small town. And I asked her, 
she had very much like Brene. I think she mentioned Brene Brown, but she kind of gives me like Brene Brown vibes. Yeah. Um, she's very, uh, she's a very inspiring speaker. Um, anyways, I asked her what was her motivation and she said it was making her family in her, in her hometown proud. She said it was like wind pushing her forward all the time. Um, and I really related with that, you know, that, that really struck a chord with me because I feel the same way where I want my family to be very proud of, of where we've come from and what we're doing together. Because I truly, I see what I do at my job every day. Yeah. You know, my mom, my sister, my aunt, um, my friends aren't sitting at my desk with me, helping me do my job every day. But when I'm calling them on the way home from work and venting or, um, you know, um, getting encouragement from them or being able to go on vacations with them because of this job. I really see that as ours. I I see all of that as our accomplishment, our, um, you know, our career in a way. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I know that kind of gets off the question that you asked, but that's that's where my mind goes with it. I just, I guess, my most in, the most interesting thing to me is hearing the very personal aspects of one's career, yeah. and because you know we don't, my podcast, we don't spend hardly any time talking about the substantive um, aspects of their job. You know, I won't ask them, how did you go about drafting this contract or, (laughs) or how did you, what was your litigation strategy in that class action lawsuit? I don't get into any of that stuff. You know, I'm all about the personal, you know, the personal aspect of it. So, um, yeah. I think that that's one of the things that really drew me to your podcast. I started listening before I came to law school And as someone who decided to go to law school to do more for myself as a woman and, you know, for my family and what I wanted to do with my life, I remember listening to your podcast and thinking, wow, okay, like I can be a mom and do this. I can Mm -hmm. take on this challenge. I can do something for myself and really push past all the things that scare me. And I totally agree with you about how your guests, they, you know, once they get to the end, they're like, their stories are every time. It's just like, if any of them say they're not cool Mm -hmm. or they're not super interesting, it's like, they just don't know, you know, because when you're listening, you're like, wow, that's so inspiring. Like, okay, I can do this. I can get through law school. And especially as I've continued to listen through law school and as my perspective has changed, I think that as a woman, I've gone up and down of how I feel in this profession and how I feel, you know, everything, you know, to be a mom, to have a family, to, you know, like I was asking earlier, like, how do you actually set boundaries when you, you know, you might have a partner who's so demanding. So, you know, Allison, what would you say is like your top tip for the lady lawyer, the the lady who's about to graduate like us, someone who just started and, you know, they're on their way to building this practice? I guess uh, my top tip that would en- encapsulate um, almost everything that we've talked about is think about your career as an entrepreneur. Yes. As a business, almost like a business owner, uh, you know, you you own your career and what that might look like for you. That might mean going back to the boundaries, you know, you, you're, you're setting your own hours to an extent. Um, you working with clients that you want to work with. 
uh, working on matters that you want to work work on. You know, um, if you want to learn about antitrust litigation, go out and you you don't do it in in your office. Go find an office that does have that kind of practice, um, or start attending a lot of um, CLEs or luncheons or conferences that are. Um, you know, focused on that subject matter and learn everything that you can about it. And, um, and it also goes to one of the things that I try to be mindful of, and and it's definitely been a takeaway from so many of my guests on my podcast is being agile with your career. Yes. Um, whether that's being open-minded to new opportunities that that might not be on your radar, um, thinking outside the box, you know, of what your next move is going to be, even if that means pivoting big time. It could be, like I said before, it could be a different practice area. Um, it could be a big ge- geographic change for you. Um, I, I featured um, a woman named Amy Chu. Uh, Amy Tu. She is the um, CLO of Tyson Foods. And she worked for Boeing for a really long time. She'd worked there for a while when she decided, well, I think it was her husband had gotten a job. I can't remember if that was a prompt for it. Um, I believe it was her husband had gotten a job over in London and Boeing didn't have any lawyers overseas, but she sought out the opportunity. She presented the idea to her um, executives, her bosses, and they gave her the chance to go overseas, be the first outside of the U.S. lawyer for Boeing and she literally built her practice there. She got right in the weeds of the business, getting to know all the business people and and built a need for herself over there. They didn't have, it's not like they had a job opening. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, it wasn't like the company was saying to themselves, hey, we should really have a lawyer over there. She literally created it for herself. And that's, that is entrepreneurial type thinking right there, right? Like she wasn't waiting on someone to pick up the phone and call her and offer that to her. Um, so that's, that's my, I guess that's my tip. Think like an entrepreneur. Yes. That's such a great, that's such a good one. I I mean, I think you can think, yeah, I love it. I'm fangirling so hard. (laughs) We thank you so much for joining us, Allison. So tell everyone where they can listen to women in the law on the record. So you can find it on almost every app that you can find podcasts, iTunes, um, iHeartRadio, Spotify. But if you want to make it real easy on yourself, you can just go to womeninlawotr.com and you can listen to podcasts directly there. And same same for my um, Instagram, Twitter, all of that. It's womeninlawotr. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Yes, You're very welcome, ladies. It was great talking with you. You know, I thought that advice on boundaries was like so good. I think people need to hear that more, especially in the law firm world. Boundaries. Yeah, that was definitely not one of the things that I expected, but I was really glad that she talked about that. And I didn't expect it just because, you know, I guess a lot of us don't always share the truth and the, you know, aren't transparent about the way it is being an associate. But also, like, that's the way that we all learn and we get better. So I just appreciated her so much and just all her podcasts and her guests that come on and talk with her. It's amazing. She is so cool. And I love the fact that she thought of the idea of the podcast from, you know, because she liked podcasts a lot. I was like, that's totally us. We love podcasts. And, you know, we can talk about, like, 10 different podcasts we listen to on a regular basis. So 
it was great to chat with her, and she is such an amazing lady lawyer to follow. So please go over to Women in Law on the Record and listen to some of her interviews and definitely give her a follow because you will not want to miss her content. All of her links will be in the show notes, obviously. And while you're in the show notes, be sure to click on our Instagram and give us a follow. Also, feel free to join our Facebook group. We're almost at 9,000 members and we don't like let everybody in it's you know we go through a process where you have to answer questions and so um i just can't believe it's like grown that much to like actual like members you know um so yeah join that if you have any questions about law school literally any anything and everything is being talked about in that group yeah so get on over and join the facebook group and as always guys please stay warm it's winter stay healthy there's a pandemic out there and also stay strong at school we know that it's about the middle of the semester and we're all just trying to get through so keep up the hard work and we'll talk to you guys next week bye bye bye